American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. You are now watching Believe. Do you believe? Welcome to another episode of Tackling a New Kingdom. I'm your host, Tank Johnson. And today we have one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, I'm not sure whether to call him an artist or an activist or an educator or a former first round pick from the linebacker factory, Penn State. We got my brother, Aaron Maben in the house. Brother May, how you doing, family? I'm blessed, man. Blessed and highly favored, my brother. Thank you for having me. Man, it is truly an honor. Uh, as they all know by now, here at Tackling a New Kingdom, uh, we tackle everything, man. We tackle it all. And today, um, we're for our current, Tackling Something Current, we're going to tackle something about resources. Recently, we've seen our brother Marion Barber lose his life uh, to an array of mental health issues. Um, what let, Let's have a conversation about what do we think the NFL is doing about putting an emphasis on creating those resources for players after they leave the game and kind of what like what what do you what do you think about that right now i mean to be perfectly honest i don't really know much about any resources that you know are being provided you know personally you know what i'm saying i think that they can definitely do a a a much better job than is currently being done when it comes to former players and 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 how they're you know, engaging and reaching out to them and seeing, you know what I mean, what their needs are, what they're struggling with and, you know, how they can do a better job of of making proper resources available. You know what I mean? There's so yeah. many of our brothers that, you know what I mean? We uh we put so many days and, and years of blood, sweat and tears with on the gridiron and, you know, to see them kind of, you know, suffer right in front of our eyes and, and the way that, you know, we're seeing example after example, man, it's scary. And it's definitely something that I think a lot about and that I have a lot of conversations um, with other former players about because it's something that we have to be a lot more proactive in talking about and holding ourselves accountable to. Accountability is a big thing. But, you know, I, I you know, you hear all these stats. We all hear these stats about uh, bankruptcy, divorce, mental health. And I, I just don't see an equal equal effort put in on both sides from the league and the PA to combat them stats and kind of like, I guess, I, I don't know if, if I feel like the PA is sitting back pointing at the league saying, why aren't you guys doing this? And then the NFL, you know, they create what they create and then whatever's left over, they're saying, why don't you guys create? I, I just, it's a lot of finger pointing. It's a lot, a lot of finger point. Point. And I think and I think I think you see the same thing, you know, in the NFL and with a lot of these major leagues that you see politically. Everybody points to the people on the other side of the aisle that they're mm -hmm. supposed to be negotiating with. And they say it's their fault when at the end of the day, everybody needs to do a better job. And the fact that nobody is really being held to account and we're not really forcing any type of accountability Um it lends, you know, to a situation like that continuing in perpetuity because nobody really is coming to the table saying we have to take action right now because they always have the caveat of saying, well, you know, we came to the table, but, you know, the other side wasn't willing to meet us halfway, you know, and at the right. same time, people are suffering, people are dying. And, you know, you kind of, when studies about, you know, brain trauma and mental health and all of this kind of stuff really first started, it was the scariest thing in the world for the league. And it kind of seemed like when, you know, all of the, 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 the power and, you know, the shock factor between um, Dr. Amalu's research and then all of the research that just uh, 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 came out and was made public, you know, after everybody got over the shock factor of it, we kind of forgot about it and said, all right, let's get right back to business as usual, you know, right. and yes, right. things have been done, you know, from um, a standpoint of protecting the product on the field, you know what I mean? You see them 
you know, paying more attention to how guys are hitting in practice and, you know, putting the, you know, the big bubbles on guys' helmets and things like that, you know, right. and yeah, those things, they contribute to, um, to helping to um, kind of put a, a bandaid on the shotgun wound. But when right. you look at what's being done for the guys that are suffering, for the guys that uh, uh, are aware that they have debilitating, you know, illnesses and, and, and brain issues and, you know, mental health issues, you know, but they don't find any of those resources available to them. What are we honestly, what are we saying is being done? You know, we can't say that they're being engaged. We can't say that, you know, they're being reached out to. We can't say that, you know, any real effort is being made to get them any resources that could um, possibly help to to restore some of the balance or some of the quality of life. You know, like, let's be honest. This is something that most people can't even really have diagnosed until after they're gone. You right. know, and we've just right. become comfortable watching people suffer you know, for the latter part of their days and, and yeah. deteriorate right in front of our eyes and no, nothing about it. it, it it's it's kind of, you know, like I'm looking at programs like Player Engagement, uh, the Player Care Foundation and uh, the Legends Community. And they've got all of these like uh, catchy names to, you know, Player Care Foundation. And, and, and you know, I, I'll say this, you know, um, you know, they they do help or they did help with continuing education and things like that. But they did. They did. I'm aware. I'm aware of a lot that's been done on that front. So I will. Yeah, I'll definitely throw that out there. That is being done. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons uh, that I'm a college graduate is, is because of the Player Care Foundation and what Belinda Lerner has done there. But I, I still think they need more. I think they need um, to bring players in there because we are on we're boots on the ground we're boots on yeah. the ground and have the ability to you know we get the calls hey so-and-so ain't doing so good um you know we need to reach out to whoever um and so that we can it's not it's not even that man i'm about to take you a step further and this is where it Please gets do. this is where it gets nasty of course you got your guys that reach out to you and they're struggling. They're really suffering and mm -hmm. you know, they need help right now. And you're looking towards putting them in touch with this organization and that um, arm of the NFLPA or the NFL, or, you know what I'm saying? You just look for resources mm -hmm. and you hope that you point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But what happens when it's you? You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I can tell you about my personal experience. There's been certain times, especially when you talk about mental health, when I first started to embrace that that was something that I needed to address personally. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That I needed to actually sit with somebody with some credentials and actually talk about what was going on with me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mentally, mm -hmm. emotionally, and all of that. And I reach out and I say, well, you know, hey, you know, I know you know, I'm, I'm vested, you know what I'm saying? I got, you know, these benefits that they tell me about, like, who do I reach out to? Mm -hmm. And then that person puts you in touch with another person. And that mm -hmm. person puts you in touch with another person. Mm -hmm. And a few weeks later, you just say, oh, well, what the hell was the point? Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, I just right. got the whole runaround and nothing even, you know what I mean? Nothing even transpired. No, that's a, so that's, had I been one of those guys that decided to continue to suffer in silence and not address it, yeah. God knows what could have came from that. Right. You know no, what I mean? Thank no. God I had some other people around that really loved me and really cared about, you know, not just my physical, but my emotional and spiritual well-being that, right. you know, tried to make sure I had access to certain resources. But, you know, we got to really take that into account. There are a lot of guys that aren't just suffering in silence. They reaching out and not getting any help. Right. They're letting people know that they're dealing with, you know, these issues and nothing's being done to address it. So yeah. um, that no. can be scary tangible tangible resources is so important because you know to your point like um if somebody is down on their ass they don't need a, a resume building class right they right. need right. A, a way to get to some money you know what i'm right. saying like that's what that's what they need and 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 that's what one of the things that you know i was i've i've been hoping that i can convey to uh, the Player Care Foundation and Player Engagement, and even Tracy Perman and the Legends community is we need tangible resources so right. that and it's not even just money. It's not even it's not money. That we can it's not that we can constantly throw money at. 
But to say that when a guy says that he's struggling emotionally or he's struggling mentally Mm -hmm. and you say, oh, well, we're doing this brain study. How is the brain study going to help that guy? Not tangible. I mean, that guy needs therapy. That guy needs, you know what I'm saying? That Mm -hmm. guy needs uh, 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 to talk to somebody in the mental health field. That guy needs to be able to actually figure out what's going on that's going to help him on the day to day. So when we talk about tangible things, we're not just talking about throwing finances at something, because what happens when you throw money at uh, uh, a guy and he doesn't know where to spend that money? He doesn't know who to who to take this money to that's going to help to fix the problem that I have. Sure. You know what I mean? And that's um, that's something that you see so many guys struggling with and it manifests itself in so many different ways. You know what I mean? And, you know, you just get tired of seeing you know, the daily cycle of, of stories of, of guys that, you know, have been struggling for a long time. And then finally when it goes off the rails, it becomes a part of that 24 hour news cycle. But then even after the cycle and after we publicly drag this man for whatever his misdeeds may be, what help are we getting him? Right. Right. No. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I was captivated by a couple of years ago was when the NBA, was in the bubble and they had they had the collective world by the balls. They, you know, they were, you know, they, they were they were saying, I'm I'm not playing, I'm not doing nothing. And one of the things that I was wondering is like what what are they gonna ask for or what are they gonna demand while they have this platform and they have this leverage um over all of these huge uh television companies, these sponsors they said, man, I'm not going out there. And so that brings me to kind of what we're talking about today is if if you could create a resource for the players, right? You, you could wave your Maven wand and, and create a resource for the players. Where, where would you start? I would start with that piece that we just talked about. The Mental fact health? of the matter is the yeah. elephant in the room when it comes to the NFL is the fact that Regardless of how much we love the game, regardless of how much um, we all put in and sacrifice for the game, so many of the players that play the game that we love and that make the game that we love, as they get into their latter years, they're suffering and they're struggling. And they're doing it without a safety net. They're doing it without resources. They're doing it without fanfare or people cheering their names and it's happening in front of their families it's happening in front of their children and it's sad you know um the fact that so many of those guys don't have as we spoke about tangible resources that they can lean back on that will fortify them in their latter years the way they fortified the game in their younger years is Mm -hmm. hypocritical and sickening and until we really see something done about that you know, that's going to be um, that's going to be something that, you know, that we have to continue to watch. Um, so if I could wave my magic wand, I would definitely do something to address that. If you're talking about current players, you know, I really just want to see um, if I could wave my magic wand. There would be some kind of legislation that would mandate that teams invest some kind of capital into fortifying these players in their younger years rather than contributing to them um falling into a cycle that is not sustainable on the back you know what i'm saying and, right. and exactly right. like you right. know the whole consumerism model and mindset the teams feed into that yeah. you know what i'm saying oh, they yeah. might tell the rookies that most players go broke after they get done playing but mm-hmm. they don't talk about they don't talk to them about what uh 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 a tangible budget for them should look like in their first few years. They, you know, talk about, yeah, watch your money and take care of your people. But there are certain teams that will bring wolves into the hen house. And as soon as you come off the practice field, you got somebody trying to sell you a $10,000 suit. As soon as you come off of the, you know what I'm saying? As soon as you come out of the, the meeting, there's somebody that's, that's pushing themselves on you in a business sense, but they're not doing anything to help to cultivate, the the minds and the ideas of the players that they have when they have you know but they have you know a staff that you know has an arm that that's supposed to be done and they you know it's how a bunch of 
uh, things that they do from a mindset of protecting teams, but they're not really investing in their guys, you know, and I want to see more players when they're playing, start to understand the power that they have, not just in the media, but in business, you know what I mean? Of in creating generational wealth, you know, and, and seeing your family go from one, one place when you were, when you were a, a college kid to being in a completely different place, just a few years later, how do you maintain that going forward? How do we make sure that uh, this house that you buy your mother is not getting repossessed a couple years after you get done? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like, and I don't think that, you know, I don't think that it's in the team's interest to do that. And as long as that's the, the case, you'll continue to see guys, you know, fall into that lane. Because as much as we preach guys going broke and all that kind of stuff, we celebrate right how much players spend. We celebrate, you know, that consumerism and we don't really celebrate when guys, you know, go against the grain and decide to represent themselves rather than hiring an agent, you know. Right. They actually, they, they're, they're, they're giving uh, Lamar Jackson a hard time for, you know, keeping his shit in the family. And I'm just like, yeah, why? Not just, not just Lamar, Roquan Smith. Yeah. Roquan Smith, they're saying that he can't, because he's a uh, his own agent, he can't negotiate with any other teams about conducting a tra uh, uh, about organizing a trade um, because it, it would be considered tampering. Well, so that's pretty bears. much saying <laughs> if you won't if you won't hire an agent, we won't let you talk to anybody about representing yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like but we're just cool with that. We're okay with the NFL mandating that a player has to hire somebody else and pay somebody else to do what I am intelligent enough to negotiate and do for myself. Right. But right. we want to preach player empowerment. They don't want to empower. They don't want to empower players. Well, they tolerate the amount of of power that the players have by nature of their platform, and they try to find a way to maneuver that for their own personal interests. But yeah. you know, they don't really care about player empowerment. I mean, I listen. Here's here's what I here's what I know uh, from an optic standpoint. I know that the players in today's game are much further along than we were in terms Absolutely. in terms of creating that brand uh cultivating that brand and protecting that brand there's still um uh we we still have to bridge the gap to make it a more holistic mindset but i think that the guys in today's game they're a little bit more uh prepared because this is the generation Bro, they've they, grown up they in they grew up they grew up with it I yeah, was just that's having this saying. conversation with another reporter the other day and it blew his mind. I said, my generation, we were the first, we were the first athletes on social media. Right. 20 years from now, that's going to be like a big deal. Like, because there will be athletics before social media and <laughs> after social media because I, everything, I, everything I, changed with that, bro. A lot of we us ran from, from that shit. It's, it no, 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 and that's the thing. That's the thing. Everybody was running from it. And I was trying to learn it and figure it out because I realized it wasn't going anywhere. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and think about this before social media, the teams had all the power, all the control, the team and the media, right? Right. right. They controlled the narrative <laughs> from inception to, this. people ingesting it yeah. you know what i'm saying like they decided who got a chance to talk on the mic they decided who got a chance to be in front of the cameras to represent the team mm -hmm. they decided whose stories would be told and even once they decided whose stories they be, uh, would be told they had people that they hired to tell us how to tell our own stories man right so true once social media came about they no longer had a filter to control what came out of our mouths. Right. They no longer had restrictions on who the got a chance to speak and who didn't. Anybody right. that was on social media all of a sudden had a mic. Anybody that had a plat, I mean, um, uh, that had a social media yeah. account automatically had a platform. Right. And they couldn't control how we as the players chose to use our platform Man. while they were using us. So it's like we were the first ones that got the hypocrisy of, yeah, you want us to be your voice and your representation on any issue, on any um, um, social uh, issue, on anything, anything. Yeah. But yeah. when I decide that I want to use my voice and my platform to uplift 
something that's important to me where I came from right. or to build up my own personal brand so that I actually have something to stand on by the time this game is done with me. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to hear anything about it. They don't want to hear that. Now that's, un- that's uncomfortable. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm going to take it even further. Because of players like us, the ones that chose to, to, to build up our own brands in spite of them, mm-hmm. we were like the bad ones in the beginning. At sure. this point, we've given the players a blueprint of how to utilize this to their benefit. You, I mean, if you look, I, you know I, I, was, I, mean? I like, was with Chad Johnson in Cincinnati, which is a very, very small media market. And Chad was putting out OCNN news and he was breaking news and it made everybody so uncomfortable, right? Like, like that, that, like that super thick girl in that, in that dress made everybody so uncomfortable. And all Chad was doing was saying, look, if I'm in Cincinnati and I can't get these uh, sponsorship deals that guys in Chicago, LA, and New York are getting, I'm going to create it for myself. And there was super pushback. But I, but again, to your point, that was a great blueprint that he left. And a lot of others like him, Dahani Jones was another one. Dahani Jones right. was, was what we realized. What we realized is if you do it their way, right? Right. You're always if not begging, auditioning for somebody else to pay you to do something that you could be doing for yourself. Facts. You know what I'm saying? Facts. You're Facts. paying, you're you're auditioning for Coca-Cola or Gatorade or Nike or Under Armour or Adidas to pay you to do what you could be doing for yourself. Or ESPN or Fox. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now you see what um with my brother Brian Clark and 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 the pivot and and the brothers on the pivot are doing you see what Brandon Marshall and all of them are doing with I am athlete you see what uh Pat McAfee and all of those guys are doing like they're realize they've already realized we are the product like we were the product then on the field we're still Period. the product now yes. stop auditioning for all of these people to give you a microphone that's what you're doing like why right. audition for ESPN or Sports Center or I mean um or Fox or any of these other networks to give you a mic when you got the mic and you are the product, you are the content. So right. put it out we, yourself. We you got know, it build ourselves. out your own. You know, like that that right Let's there go. is something that um I'm so happy to see more and more guys doing because that's power right there. And we've never been in a position where we could really take these power positions for ourselves and it's not just about taking these things for ourselves as many of us as possible need to get our own platforms because then once we have them we can work together then i can take my network and i can bridge it with yours you know what i'm saying then i can bring my net worth over and connect it with yours and now now we're cooking with grease because now we're operating from a power position as a as a dynamic force rather than as individuals and, uh, and operating from that power position is, is, is the key. And that's important. And so, man, um, that is tackling something current, right? That is tackling some current going on. We're going to switch lanes to tackling something real that, uh, that happens between me and you. Okay. So something that I admire about athletes and people in general is their ability to be multifaceted. Uh, You're an athlete, artist, activist, administrator. While living on the East Coast, I had the privilege to step inside of your gallery to see your artistic side. Um, I'm talking paintings, five, six, and seven figures. One, tell me about your love for art and why cultivating those skills was so important to you while you were still playing in the NFL. Um, I've been cultivating those skills my entire life, bro. Like, you know... I tell people all the time, you know, art was my identity before I ever picked up a football. You know what I mean? Like I was creating um, before I could form words and speak. You know, when I was a kid, I used to run around the house and steal like the aluminum foil and make my own action figures. You know, I used to do the same thing with like Reynolds wrap once the aluminum foil was uh, was was used up. Um, I take paper and I I put water I put it in water and make like you know little makeshift paper mache and make 
my own little sculptures and things like that. You know, um, I was sketching every like everywhere I used to go. I used to run all over the place. Uh, my father's nickname for me was Rum Run when I was a kid. Uh, but the only time I would slow down and stay still was when I was creating. So he used to carry um, just a little like pencil case of crayons and pencils. Mm -hmm. And he used to have a big roll of paper in the back of his car. And everywhere we would go, he would take paper and the pencils and crayons and he would sit me down and let me create. And that would be how, you know, I stayed still wherever we were at. So I was an artist my whole life, like even as a teenager, like I was taking um, classes at Maryland Institute College of Art here in Baltimore on scholarship in the summertime, you know, rather than going around to different sports camps and things. Right. And, um, you know, right. I did my first mural for the city of Baltimore when I was 11 years old, you know, so by the time I got to Penn State that I was already a known artist, you know, here in Baltimore, it wasn't like, you know, Wow. I was just picking up art for the first time and I majored in art in college. You know, I was an integrative arts major. Okay. So, you know, I always had the mindset that um, when I got older, I would be, you know, a professional in the arts world. And, you know, I yeah. thought that it would be after a 10 year football career that I made that uh, transition. So I was preparing for it, you know, from the beginning. But, um, you know, God works how he works, man. Like, and, you know, things happen the way that they happen. But, um, art was always the thing that centered me, you know, as chaotic as my life was, you know, art was a place where I could find balance. And, you know, it was the first place before, you know, before I found therapy and before I, you know, was became more introspective and started reading and, and, and learning right. about life and the, the human psyche. Art was my only place that I felt comfortable with self-expression. You know, so if I was dealing with something, I would bottle it up in every other space. But on the athletic field and in front of a canvas or, you know, a piece of paper uh, was how I felt most comfortable expressing myself. So, Man. you know, art was just always there my entire life. And, you know, um, and when we got to the point where, you know, I'm in the NFL and, you know, um, we've gotten past the Buffalo years. So, you know, I'm not. I'm not really feeling the need to to prove that I can play anymore because I've already had success in New York. But like I realized that um, in order for me to be the type of dynamic player that I want to be, in order for me to be like the type of guy that's going to, you know, um, win a Super Bowl or two or put on a gold jacket at the end of his career, like I had to take a step back from everything I was doing off the field and in my community and focus everything I had on the game you know I realized right. that like this multifaceted approach that I had to life like wasn't going to work if I wanted to be the type of player that I wanted to be mm -hmm. but I also realized that the stuff that I wanted to do in the community like that wasn't just like a hobby that was real to me yeah. and I realized that the stuff that I wanted to accomplish here in the city of Baltimore I was never going to do when I was still while I was still playing right you know what I mean so yeah that's true. I had to figure out you know, what was more important and what made what made the most sense to me as a man, you know, um, and that led to me deciding to walk away from the game to do this full time. You know oh, what I'm saying? So don't don't get ahead of me. You, I, I, that's the part of my you, you go. Ahead, you, you're so smart. You go. <laughs> don't go ahead of me. But um, when I got a chance to go into um, your gallery, man, and I and I got to, to walk around there. Um, that's a place that was a that was a time I didn't feel like I was in the US. I didn't feel like I was in Baltimore. I felt like I was in the republic of the gallery that you created. Like I, I mean, I just had goosebumps walking around seeing this expression through your mind, right? And yeah. and and like, you know, just the way my brain works is I'm just wanting to these paintings to go everywhere and can is can you tell um can you tell us where we can find your paintings where we can get prints of your paintings can you tell the the tackling a new kingdom audience where they can get them yeah um if you just go on my website aaronmaven.com you know i got a i have a shop on there where all my merchandise is available from my artwork to my books um prints posters 
household appliances, whole bunch of different stuff there, man. So, um, yeah, you can definitely go on my website and check that out. And uh, people that are interested in um, um, procuring original work, uh, you know, that's a little bit tougher. You know, those uh, those have to be um, either seen or experienced live at a show. Um, I actually just um, I just agreed to terms on um, the venue for my next uh, solo ex exhibition. Um, we're doing it here in my hometown of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, it's going to be at the uh, Guilford Hall Brewery, um, which is uh, uh, in not not necessarily East Baltimore, more so central. But um, yeah, uh, we're going to that's going to be in November. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's been a kind of a two year hiatus for me during this um, during this pandemic of, of, of just working, you know, um, right. on my right. art, you know, in my own spaces, you know, kind of away from the public. And I haven't really even been, you know, posting as much of the work um, um, as of late because, you know, it's so personal and it's so intimate. And, you know, I'm really, really, really excited um, for that to be uh, something in the works for people to be able to come out to experience it um, firsthand in person um, after such a long time of, of just working. Um, I'm really excited to um, do this here in my hometown of Baltimore. Obviously, anybody that knows me knows the love and the dedication that I have to this city and our community and maintaining the narratives that um, are so bastardized in uh, uh, the larger spaces. Um, just really being able to show us as we are and celebrate that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that, um, to that exhibit. Um, man, that's dope, man. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just being able to, to see that was, it, it changed my life. And, and throughout this show, I'm going to, I'm actually going to, uh, show, uh, footage of when I was inside of that, 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 that gallery and the way it made me feel, um, of, of all the places that you know of that your art has traveled to, um, what's the place that you've been most surprised that one of your art pieces has found its way to? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it would be a toss up really. Like I'm always, I'm always interested whenever like European countries, when people from like European countries like find my work. Um, not so not so much England because my mother, my stepmom is is uh half British, half Jamaican. So like we have family in Great Britain. So like I got a pretty strong following over there just because, you know, I got some mouthpieces over there talking about the work and all. So right, uh, I'm, right. I'm used to folks like, you know, in London and then different places in England and Wolverhampton for where, uh, where my mom is from patronizing my work. But um, we've had some we've had some uh, some folks from Paris uh, buy some of my work, uh, some guys from Germany um met me down at art basel down in miami a few years mm -hmm. back and, yeah. and bought uh, uh one of my pieces that i had for sale down there um obviously uh uh you know the whole idea of your work here in america touching people overseas you know is always powerful for artists yeah. because you know it's kind of like the the embodiment of that idea of art transcending language you know uh, uh race culture you know all of these barriers and art being really the thing that threads us all together because you know as different as our culture might be um as black folk here in america it's still very much like the black folk in germany and the black folk in england and the black folk in africa so you know Straight the up. fact that i really center on stories from you know the black community and you know the urban experience those stories are really universal. It's not just ours here in Baltimore, it's everywhere, you know, right. and, you know, that love, you know, the love is really what I think is the, is the true ingredient and in the piece that everybody, you know, goes back to, because whether I'm talking about something positive or negative, whether I'm talking about something that's painful, whether I'm talking about history or the present, you know, the thing that is always present is a love for my community, for my people and a desire to see us all rise together. So, you know, I think that, you know, that transcends time and space and language and, and sex and understanding, you know, and 
that's, you know, tapping into the soul of what's real, you know, here and everybody, you know, so creatively, I really, um, I take great pride in being able to channel that. Man, it's, you know, one of, you know, whenever I see art or I speak to an artist, you know, I just, I just wonder, um, you know, you, you create something so powerful um, where you're, where you're present at, you're most present where you create and it finds its way to so many parts of the world. I just, I find that so fascinating. Um, man, thank you for uh, tackling something real between you and I. And and now we're gonna get to an uncomfortable conversation because I feel like it leads to a better perspective. As an activist, I know it's a thankless task and you spend so much of your personal time trying to, to better Baltimore, better the US. What's the toughest part about activism? And I'll tell you why I ask. It's because it's easy to be an activist every couple years when the hot button shit happens. Right, right, right. But, right. <laughs> but when, when the news cycle changes and people move on, you're still plotting, you're still creating and you're still working to be to make your environment better. Um, Talk to me about that, man. Talk to me about why it's important to be an activist. I think in your question, you kind of brought out my answer a little bit. The fact that the toughest part about it is really um, the fact that every couple of years, there is a hot button issue that gets people um, galvanized around this idea of social change, right? Mm -hmm. Um when a situation like Freddie Gray happens here in Baltimore in 2015, when a situation like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd happens in 2020, you know, um, around the, across the country, you see all of this energy, you know, galvanized in the streets and on social media and, and, you know, the halls of, uh, of, of public policy um, around different issues like, you know, police brutality, like, uh, the mass incarceration um, um, system, you know, the prison industrial complex, you know, all of these issues. Um, the biggest problem or the, the hardest part of real activism is when that dies down, you know what I mean? When the public mm -hmm. outcry dies down, when, you know, things aren't going viral on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, you know, that's where the real work actually takes place. Mm. And we're living in a society right now where if somebody tweets about something or somebody shows up to a march, they think they've done their civic duty in that process to achieve social change in that front. Mm -hmm. um, but real change isn't that easy. And the fact that we right. don't even teach civics in school anymore uh, makes it even more difficult to get people to understand that there's a process to this. Like you don't just march and see a law change. You don't just see right. a whole bunch of viral videos and, and think piece articles right. and see that lead to some kind of real progressive change. That's going to move the needle on the future that our kids will experience. Yes. In order for that to happen, we need sustained momentum. And that's something that we've gotten very bad at as a community. Um, We're so distracted. We're so distracted with with everything, with this and this, with that. It, it, it's, it's, and I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm using that as a reason why, it, it, you know, it just feels like people are just, oh, we're, we're focused on, you know, um, you know, mass incarceration. We're, we're focused on this. And then it's like, oh, what? Uh, you know, Kanye came out with a mask on and then they spend that time over there and, it, and it's and it's just such Yeah, but that's waste. what makes it tough. But that's what makes it tough because the people that have that conversation are the ones that I struggle with because they act like we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. I can be plugged in on what's going on, you know, in pop culture and understand what we're working towards in legislative policy and know what's going on here in Baltimore on a local front and know what's going on on a federal level that is going to impact me, my children, my woman, my household. Like, these are all things that we are completely capable of, like, right. but we don't hold each other accountable to that. We all buy into that narrative of, you know, we all have a savior's complex, you know, to be perfectly honest with you. We expect 
you know, the politician that comes to us every four years and promises to change our lives, change to our lives, actually gonna... do something, you know, different than the last few politicians that said the same thing. We expect our pastor to do this magic prayer that's going to, you know what I mean? That's going to pray all of our, um, all of our struggles away our as a community, away, as a right. household. Like we right. expect, you know, the, the, the local community hero to, to wear Superman's cape and to be able to go around and fix our education system and our infrastructure and our, like, no, it's not that sexy. It's not that simple. If that was that simple, we would, we would have been past this. We would have overcame this in the sixties back when we really knew how to organize, right. you know what I mean? Like really right now we don't, we don't, we don't really know what it means to be organized. We don't know what it means to have a working relationship with our city council members and our senators and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like our, our judges and our school board and our, you know, like these are people who largely we elect to represent us yet. We don't know them yeah, yet. Right. They don't know us yet. We, you know, we don't call their office and, and make complaints. We don't, you know what I'm saying? We don't mm -hmm. do what we need to do as a, a, a collective body to work towards the goals that we say we want for our society. And that right there is the toughest part of the real work is the fact that when everybody else, you know, um, when everybody else is focused on something else, we still have to be focused on the task at hand. When everybody else has forgotten that our schools still lack infrastructure and funding and uh, 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 adequate curriculum and right. our communities are still deteriorating. We lack, you know, resources to have uh, stable communities and, and, and um, 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 thriving households. You know, we, we can't be the type of people that every few years decide to address this issue and expect it to really change for the better. You know, we right. have to understand that in order for these things to change, we have to be the ones that change them. We have to take that personal responsibility um, upon ourselves. And that's yeah. something that um, isn't just reserved for the select few that choose to call themselves activists. Like I resent people putting me up on pedestals for that reason. You know, yeah. I don't want you putting me up on a pedestal because deep down that pretty much tells you that it's my responsibility instead of yours to work towards change in this area. No, like it's all of our responsibility. Of us. No, yeah, of us. exactly. Yeah. No, nobody's and, and, coming to save us. No, um, you, you know, that's that's one of the things that I find uh so uh fascinating about you as a man. Uh not only were you one of the greatest athletes of this generation, like real shit. And I know it's embarrassing for me to say that. But I mean, real talk, but I watch how the, the news cycle changed, the wind blows, and, you know, I, I watch you continuing to be boots on the ground and to fight for your city, fight for your community, um, and, and, and do it with so many like-minded people. Um, and that's, that's why I felt it was important uh, to get you on Tackling a New Kingdom, because um, I, I want to magnify that. Right. I want like I want to do uh, like a little bit of my part to magnify the 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 challenges, but also the successes that you you built brick by brick. And it's real and it's real. I appreciate success. that, bro. I um, appreciate I appreciate and, you recognizing that, you know, because some people like, you know, uh, it's funny. Some people, when they first meet you, they think, oh, this is something that you've been doing, you know, for a year or two. Right. Like, nah, like, right. you know, those that have known me for some time, you know, yeah. know that just because it, it became popular recently, you know, to get involved with some of this stuff. Like, I've been I've been doing this. I've been doing this work here in Baltimore since, you know, since I left school, you know, and even right. before. Um, I left high school, you know, um, just by nature of who my parents were, you know, I was already entrenched in my community. You know, I've always wanted to see my city rise. And I think that, you know, one thing that I regretted is that growing up, there weren't more examples of guys like me, you know, guys that were able to achieve so many things professionally, but that brought those resources back home, you know, to their city and provide those resources to the kids that are growing up to be the versions of them that tomorrow needs, you know? So right. I definitely wanted to be an example of what it looked like not to run away from your hood, but to come back and to invest and to really like 
you know, put your money where your mouth is more, but more so to, to put your action, you know, ahead of, 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 of your, of your words and to really let that speak for you. You know, the, I, you know, when, when, when you have friends that are so talented, you, you often put yourself in their position and you're like, you, you kind of say, what would I do if I were them? So my question to end the inter interview on something lighter, something funny, I wanted to see, um, of all the epiphanies that you've had in your life, great epiphanies, knowing that you possess so many talents, describe the moment you were you were on the football field or in the offseason and you were like, fuck this shit. I'm about to go <laughs> do something else, dog. Can you tell me about that moment, dog? Knowing you were equipped indeed. with so much stuff. I think it's actually poetic. I think yeah. it's actually poetic because me and you met in Cincinnati on a, on a, on a visit. The first yeah. time we met, you were in Cincinnati. We were both visiting the Bengals. I was visiting as uh, uh, an incoming rookie. Um, it was before, I think before the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So they brought me in for one of my pre-draft visits and they had you there yeah. on the interview as well that day. Yeah. And I think me and you were together for a few hours that day. And that was when we really got cool. Yeah. What? They didn't end up drafting me that I was drafted by Buffalo, obviously. But later on, after um, after I was in New York, after after I had uh, gotten released from uh, the Jets, I was kind of in that position of, you know, seeing what was going to be the next team that I went to, you know, and I was um, I was I was I hadn't visited any teams, but I was talking to a few mm -hmm. and I just kind of wanted to, you know, get um a mindset of the coaching staff you know the 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 scheme that they would be running kind of what they would be asking of me I wanted to make sure I was going to go to a space that was going to allow me to um show the skills that I felt like you know exemplified who I was as an athlete and um the person that I ended up getting a call from that that convinced me was Marvin Lewis mm. he called me I was down in Miami and, um, you know, we had about an hour and a half long conversation just about, um, you know, what they were trying to do as a team and, you know, kind of the role that he saw me having um, within that organization. Um, I had just left New York and, you know, had some success there, but wasn't really in a position where um, I could really thrive, you know, from a standpoint of being the feature pass rusher, you know, having all of this, um, all of the responsibilities that, you know, fit what I did well. And I thought that that could be the case in Cincinnati. So I decided, all right, I'm going to be a Bengal, man. Like I'm going up there, like finally get a chance to work with Marvin Lewis. Like I was a huge fan of his from back in uh, his Baltimore days, you know, as the Ravens defensive coordinator. Um, so I was really excited about that. And then about not even not even two weeks, about eight days later, they signed James Harrison. Mm. So I said, that's interesting. Like, and nowhere in this conversation that we were having did he mention bringing in you know, future Hall of Fame, you know, pass rusher that does everything that I do well, but at a Hall of Fame level. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. So I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> now I'm thinking, now I'm even getting creative. I'm like, maybe, maybe they just going all in on defense. You know, they see something schematically. They want to try to find a way to feature both of us. How Me crazy and him would together it be? coming off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> How crazy would it be if I'm coming off of, uh, the edge on one side and James Harrison is coming off of the other? This could be this could be the revitalization of my career. Right. I get to training camp. <laughs> in about two days, I, I, I can see the writing on the wall. I was like, okay, I see what this is going to be. I was like, <laughs> right. like just the energy was just different. Like, right. and, you know, we get on the field, we see how the practice reps are getting divvied up. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and you can kind of tell like, okay, they didn't have a plan for this. This is pretty much going to be hunger games. Like, you know, best players going to get it, of course. And right. I was all the way down for that. But 
did I not believe that, of course, you're not like, what would I have had to do in order to beat out a future Hall of Fame? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that right. right there was the was the was the big thing for me. It was like, you know, I realized that like this is this might not be a situation that works out here. Right. And if that does, if that indeed happens, do I feel like committing this much of myself to another organization? Right. You know what I'm saying? Do I feel like doing the whole dog and pony show of figuring out a good landing spot, you know, having conversations with that staff, coming into the locker room, seeing if we gel, you know, yeah. all of the work that goes into being, being the, the new top. student again. Yeah. Learning a completely new defense when I never had had a chance to get comfortable in one defensive scheme, right. you know, throughout right. the course of my career to that point, right. you know, and for what? You know what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> for what? Like how much, you know how people always say like, you know, winning this Lombardi means more to me than anything else. That was never me. It didn't. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like nah, me either. <laughs> playing for my, playing for the boy, playing for the brothers next to me was always the only fuel I needed. You know what I'm saying? Like right. being able to have some dogs that you really like have some love for and you would go out and run through a wall for like, you know, the, the, the task of working towards a common goal with some guys that you really believe in and that believe in you is probably one of the greatest feelings that a man can ever experience. And, oh, I, and I tell people that all the time, like mm -hmm. that, that in itself is enough to, to keep you hungry to, the, to continue to, uh, to, to play. Right. But what I was looking at was something much bigger. It was like, you know, this game has allowed me to do so much. It's allowed me to change the trajectory of my family's life forever. It's allowed me to have a platform that I'm trying to utilize to the best of my abilities to, um, to shift my city in a positive direction. Like, right. How much more could I accomplish if I was just doing that full time? though? man, you know what I mean? Like, man, how much happier could I be if, you know, the thing that I'm most passionate about in this world was what I was focusing on every single day when I woke up in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And then I realized that, like, yo, if that's really how I'm feeling, then I'm stealing still being here in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. because somewhere there's somebody that would literally chop off their arm for the opportunity. For, for this opportunity. Yeah, for the opportunity that you're not, you're not, Fully invested. <laughs> exactly. That you're not cherishing. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. whenever people used to like, you know, say things like, like, yo, you could be on the street tomorrow or something like that. I would get offended. Like, like yo, do what? you think that this game is like my greatest account? Like, do you think that this game is my greatest um, contribution to the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, like. Got me messed up, man. <laughs> nah, man. Like, yo, this is going to be just the tip of the iceberg to what I do. You know, yeah. um. And I always, I always had that mindset. That's funny. I always tell people that, like, when I got to the NFL, I was, I would, and, and and people would say stuff to me. I would be like, "This isn't even my biggest accomplishment. My biggest accomplishment was getting accepted into college." Right. <laughs> so, like, this is just a part of the process. But no, uh, brother, brother May, I appreciate you stepping into the kingdom today and being a guest on tackling a new kingdom. And uh, brother, we. Hope that we can get you down the line in the next season, too. Absolutely, man. Congratulations on the new show, man. It's an honor to be here with you. I definitely appreciate the conversation, man. And I, I look forward to seeing the platform continue to grow. And, uh, man, I'm excited for what's in store for you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for watching Believe. You can find more great content at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V. Dot com. Do you believe?